You're listening to the Choose Life Podcast, a podcast about living a radically human and courageously authentic life. Join us as we discuss topics from small business leadership to adoption advocacy to living the life God has called you to. Here's your host, Clay Steves. Welcome back to the Choose Life Podcast. I am your host, Clay Steves, and I am excited to be together again today. The Choose Life Podcast is a space where we explore what would it be like to choose a radically human and courageously authentic life? What could life be like if we were purpose-driven with our eyes focused moving forward? If we could break free from the constraints, from the shackles of living in formality and living for other people's approval What could life be like if we would choose life? For those of you who have subscribed to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or the other platforms, thank you for doing that. That means so much to me personally. Uh, For those of you who follow us on Facebook and view the video podcast, thank you for doing that as well. Please continue to share, continue to comment, continue to like, give us feedback, ask questions. We welcome that and are thankful for your following and your interactions. Today's podcast, podcast number 10, is actually titled Less But Better. Less But Better. Time. Time is the infinite resource with finite availability. The infinite resource with finite availability. While time can be an invaluable resource to accomplishing goals and living life to the fullest, If improperly utilized, it can become this sinister yet subtle, like devastating obstacle towards living a purpose-filled life, towards choosing life. And it all comes down to attention management. That's right, attention management. Not time management, right? We've all said that, we've all heard that, but think about it. You can't get more time. There's no such thing as time management. You don't produce more, you don't produce less. There is no such thing as time management. It's an absolute misnomer. But in order to choose life, we must do less but better. And so we must manage our attention. We must manage our attention. So to choose life, we must become more and more aware of this finite and valuable resource that time is in our lives. We must understand the detrimental effect of not having strong boundaries to deal with the perpetual and incessant and ever screaming and louder requests on our time that the world consistently sends our way. We have to pre-decide, we have to define, and we have to prioritize these demands to choose life because these requests and these demands of our time, they take us away from our families. They take us away from our purpose. They distract us, right? They make us less productive team members at work. They physically and emotionally and mentally, they drain us. Actually, what all these requests on your time do is they actually will cause you to wake up in 10 years and to look back and say to yourself, what happened to my life? Where did, how, how did I end up here, right? Everyone ends up somewhere, but very few people end up somewhere on purpose. So how do we start to do less but better? How do we choose a life of less but better? This is actually an essentialist mindset and my perspective and my 
passionate. My firm belief in this approach has been strongly influenced by an author named Greg McEwen in his book, Essentialism. I recommend it. Go read it. It's kind of one of those ones that I like to read every single year to remind myself of these fundamentals, of these principles. For to choose life, we must view and value our time as the precious commodity that it is, right? And we must intentionally build strong filters in our life to sift, to triage, to block those the world's incessant and loud and screaming demands on this valuable resource of ours, time. This less but better approach, it is critical towards choosing life, one that is thriving and impactful and produces the results that in 10 years when you wake up, you actually want to see in your life. For if daily we let the requests of the world keep screaming at us and keep getting our attention, right? If we don't have strong hedges, we will drift. We will drift. And then we will wake up and be like, how did I get here? We will live a life, right, of busyness without impact, of motion without productivity. We will spend copious amounts of energy, right? We spend tons of energy without ever actually moving the needle in life that we want to move. We exhaust ourselves without ever actually getting the reward for our efforts. McEwen has a visual that displays this perfectly, right? It's two models of energy exertion. And so they're two circles side by side. One circle has small little arrows coming out of it in every direction. And one circle has one single long arrow coming out of it. The energy exertion is actually identical on the two visuals. But as you can see, one makes much greater impact in a single direction. One is perpetually spinning its wheels and spending tons of energy, but not getting anywhere. One is focused, one is purpose-driven. One allows you to be courageously authentic and live an impactful life. So how do we achieve this type of focus, right? When the world is perpetually screaming at us, because it is, you, me, everyone, the world is demanding incessantly of this valuable resource. So how do we achieve this type of focus? How do we choose a life structure that allows us to focus on the most important priority in the midst of others' relentless demands out of our focus and time? How do we choose a life of less but better? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, but I don't think you asked, I asked for you. But either way, we're going to keep going. The first thing you must do, pre-decide. To choose a life of less but better, you must pre-decide. Now, for those of you watching on the video, you may recognize this dark blue, navy blue V-neck t-shirt I'm wearing. Why? Because I've already worn it in multiple podcasts. If you've watched on any other videos, you've seen other identical V-necks of a different color. Because yes, my attire and my closet are incredibly boring. That's right. They are so boring well, you might actually think I don't ever wash my clothes because you see me in the same thing over and over, but I promise it's washed every single time. <laughs> I have purposely, I have literally gone through my closet, cleaned it out, and purposely created a minimal and simple collection to choose from. Almost comical to the point, right? So before you judge me, before you judge me, okay, because I, I actually do get mocked about this pretty incessantly by 
Yeah, by everyone. That's an accurate statement. Uh, but before you do judge me, let me say a couple of thoughts on this. First, I actually love new clothes. And I love variety in clothing, just so you know. Uh, I like dressing up for a night out with, with Kirsten. I love going on dates and dressing up with my wifey. I love getting fixed up for a presentation right at work. My favorite thing is when I put on a new shirt and surprise people and they're like, oh, that must be new, but I've actually had the shirt for a while. I just don't choose to wear it very often. I love these things. And actually the shirt that I wore last week was one of those shirts. I've had it for a long time and nobody ever noticed. And then Kirsten reminded me how much she liked it. So I wore it for us. But here's what you have to know. My life is full of decisions. Copious amounts of decisions all day every day. Every single one of them, I am flooded with consequential and impactful decisions. And many of them, right, they are critical to other people's lives, right? Whether it's in my family and the direction of our household, whether it's at Habakkuk and our company, I have decisions that have real consequences. And I am a firm believer in decision fatigue. This is a legitimate, real thing. Uh, Columbia School of Business, Columbia School of Business a few years ago did a study. They looked at uh, over 1,100 judicial rulings uh, on the parole board. Okay, so these were criminals who were in jail and they were evaluating the judge's decision-making processes on whether criminals would get uh, parole or not. And they were looking at what contributes to a judge's decision-making through the ruling process. They be, as they studied this over a 10-month period, it was 1,100 straight cases, what they began to recognize is the judge's decision-making, whether they, a criminal received a favorable ruling right, to reduce their parole or to release them from prison, or whether they got no ruling at all, had very little to do with the actual factors on the case. One of the most notable things that they found was the time of day was one of the biggest factors on whether a criminal got a favorable ruling or not. What they found was this. If a judge was ruling on a, a criminal's case at the start of the day, there was a 65% chance that this criminal had of getting a favorable ruling for parole. And as the day went on and the judge made decision after decision after decision after decision, all of a sudden the criminal's chance went down to almost zero of getting a favorable ruling. But then guess what happened? They had a lunch break. And then when they came back from lunch to start the afternoon session, the percentage, bam, jumped back up to 65%. And then slowly through the rest of the day, through the rest of that decision-making session, decision-making, 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 the chance went back down to zero. And this held true over 1,100 straight cases, over a 10-month period. This wasn't a tiny little thing. This was a large segment. And so what they discovered was our decision-making mind is like a muscle. And the more we use it, we will fatigue it over a day, over a single session. And so for me, since I believe in this truth, and I believe it's scientifically backed, why in the world would I personally spend any of my decision-making muscle on decisions that are unimportant to me and inconsequential towards choosing life. Why would I do that? So here, let's do this real quick. I did an exercise in preparation for this. And I sat down, I said, I'm going to look at the last few weeks, about four to six weeks. And I'm just going to look at some of the decisions that I've had to make personally in that period of time. 
Here's a few of them that I could come up with quickly. This is not comprehensive. This is just what I could get right off the bat. Should we send our kids back to school in person? Our school is in person. We had the choice. Should we, in the COVID era, send our kids back to school? With a 95% drop in revenue over the weeks of COVID uh, quarantine, how long can Habakkuk go and utilize corporate and personal emergency funds to keep our doors open as a company? When is it safe for me and my family to visit my mom who's battling a, a terminal degenerative disease and battling to thrive in her life? How much can I, in person, serve my dad, who's my mom's full-time caregiver? Should I stop paying myself and start using personal emergency funds to ensure that Habakkuk can go on longer and our mission can keep moving forward through an elective surgery shutdown? Without elective surgery and no revenue coming in, should Habakkuk lay off or furlough or cut the pay of our team members to reduce expenses and extend the time that we can keep our doors open. Do Kirsten and I consider adjusting again our warrior son's medicines because he has special needs, not because he did anything, but because it's a circumstance that he's been given in life to help him not harm himself or others during this unique, crazy time when life has no structure to it? Am I personally willing to secure unsecured debt for the organization to bridge the COVID-induced revenue shortfalls that we're experiencing? Should Habakkuk accept temporary loan offers from our manufacturer partners? Should Habakkuk thaw our hiring freeze even once elective surgery has returned due to the high risk of surgery being shut down again and when and states around us are already shutting down again. I mean, I'm just tired remembering these decisions, let alone actually having to decide them, and all of those are behind me. And so here's the question I'm asking. Why would I wear out my decision-making muscle? Why would you wear out your decision-making muscle? Why would you exhaust yourself on unimportant decisions when you have real, consequential, life-giving decisions to make. Because to choose life, we must choose less but better. Decision fatigue is real, right? The more decisions we make, the more we wear out that muscle. So pre-decide. Evaluate your life and cut down on the number of unimportant decisions that you need to make every single day. Pre-decide those in one sitting, and then free yourself to actually live in a day and make the most important decisions that come across. Now, I need you to notice, I did not tell you to simplify your closet, okay? I'm not telling you to go simplify your closet. I was just providing an example that for me is an unimportant decision that I am willing to pre-decide on so that I don't have to use my decision-making muscle on that in a single day. At Choose Life, we will not let unimportant decisions wear us down 
to where we are exhausted and we can't make the best decisions that make the greatest impact on our purpose and on our life. We will pre-decide one time a majority of the questions that the rest of the world is perpetually spinning through the day, is perpetually wrestling through a day so that we can be in our best and most optimal place to deal with the legitimate and consequential decisions that will inevitably come across your purpose-driven life. So to choose a life of less but better, you must pre-decide. Pre-decide. The second thing you must do, define your purpose. And yes, that sounds very similar to some of the other bullets from previous podcasts. And so I hope the point is getting across that this really, really, really matters. To choose a life of less but better, you must define your purpose. With a father who was in the medical community in our home city for over 30 years, I grew up around a large diversity and a large community within the medical healthcare community. Uh, of diverse backgrounds, uh, some being urology, uh, many different disciplines, urology, cardiology, neurology, orthopedics, all these different ones. You, as you grow up in that community, you build connections through all different disciplines. A few years after we had founded Habakkuk, uh, actually one of these associates or a connection that I had made in a different discipline reached out to me and he had an opportunity that he thought was that, that I and Habakkuk were perfect for. He began to tell me about it. He began to pitch me on the idea. He wanted to discuss this great opportunity that on the outside might be very, very appealing so I can understand why he reached out to us. But the thing was, the offer and the product line he wanted us to pick up was in the discipline of urology. And without even having to spend an iota of a second, right? I didn't have to spend that long of my valuable, finite time, I was able to politely decline the offer. <laughs> I kind of chuckled because I remember his response. Like he was very taken aback. It was like, uh, uh, what? Uh, um, um, he, he may have been insulted. I don't really know. I can't remember. But at how quickly I responded and declined his offer was what caught him off guard. Now, I didn't need to spend any time on it because I had already defined the purpose of Habakkuk, right? We had a boundary that told us exactly where we were going and we didn't need to spend any time chasing anything outside of it. For Habakkuk exists to help restore life within the orthopedic community. That purpose is laser focused, right? It's clear. That clarity allows our organization to focus its energy, right? To be cohesive, to be compounding, to be consequential in the direction that we have set in front of us. It allows us to align our efforts in a singular direction. And it frees us not to chase every opportunity that's presented along the way. Of course, I have a cadence of rhythm to evaluate that purpose. As a leadership team, we sit down once a quarter and we evaluate those things because someday in the future, we might decide that we have a different why to our organization. We have a different purpose to our organization, but that must be an intentional, purposeful, and thoughtful process. That is an inside-out decision, not an outside-induced-in decision. So the more, <laughs> So you must define your purpose. And here's another secret. And it's not a secret. The more successful you and your organization become, the more opportunities are going to come your way. Right? This is natural. This is actually great. It's fantastic. 
But that's why you must have clear, strong boundaries around your purpose so that you can keep your eye focused as those opportunities come, as those opportunities that naturally come from your success are being presented to you. Michael Hyatt on the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast had a fantastic quote that I think displays the temptation in that season after you become successful and after these opportunities begin flooding at you. He had a, he had a great quote and it was this, when you become successful, opportunities will begin to show up at your doorstep. But the problem is distractions will also begin showing up masquerading as opportunities. The only way to tell the difference is to have a clarity of vision as to where you are going. The only way to tell the difference between opportunities and distractions masquerading as opportunities is to have a clarity of vision, right? You must know your purpose as to where you are going. That is so strong. Clearly defining your purpose allows you to have the needed boundaries and to effortlessly, don't miss that, effortlessly, Ignore the incessant requests for your attention and time that do not align with that purpose. So to choose a life of less but better, the first thing, pre-decide. The second thing, define your purpose. And the final point, schedule by priority, not proximity. To choose a life of less but better, schedule by priority, not proximity. After the birth of our fifth child, Life was full. I mean, I know, I know technically uh, life was full when we had four kids and uh, owning our own business. But like Jim Gaffigan kind of talks about when you hit like that fourth kid, fifth kid, it's like you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. Like that's really what it felt like. I can't, I can't lie about it. But man, in the few months after the birth of our fifth child of our daughter, Kirsten and I were just struggling to stay connected as a couple. We were struggling to stay on the same page. And as we talked about in uh, the Fatherhood podcast previously, one of the keys to being a great parent for me to these five kids, for Kirsten to these five kids, is pursuing and staying connected with your spouse. It is fundamental towards being a healthy parent. And so we knew that we were just off right? And you know that staying connected is critical and life-giving towards choosing life. And what we discovered was in that season, our system for scheduling our life, right, was not up to the task of everything that life was throwing at us, right? For us to be able to choose a life of less but better. And for the record, if you don't have a system for dealing with all of life's requests, that actually is a system and it is not serving you well. And thus you will not thrive towards the life that you want. So in that season, Kirsten and I chose to proactively start going to counseling together, right? We weren't in a bad way relationally, but we recognized that the demands and the requests that the world was putting on us and that we had were more than we or our life system could handle at that time. And we didn't want to wake up in 10 years and just be coexisting. We wanted to be thriving. We wanted to choose a purpose-driven, courageously authentic future life. Our amazing counselor who began to work with us over time gave us such great encouragement. And she also equipped us. And she gave us five tactical things to do. Four of them I'm going to save for another day. I promise you'll hear them all at some point. 
but one of them I want to focus on today, and that was the weekly family planning meeting. That's right, the weekly family planning meeting. At first, this was a little bit too rigid for me and how I liked uh, my system in life, but very, very quickly, I learned the value of this discipline. And it, what it did is it allowed me to apply a principle that I learned from Pastor Ben Stewart. And that's this, it's in, and this is an incredibly relevant principle towards living a life of, life, but, uh, of less but better. This, thing, this weekly family planning meeting allowed me to begin to schedule my life by priority, not by proximity. It allowed us to sit down once a week as a couple, as a family, and get completely on the same page, tactically, schedule-wise, logistics, all the things we were moving on, once a week to schedule our life by priority, not proximity. So that allowed us to go, okay, what's our priority? Well, our priority, we've decided this long ago, our priority as parents is that we want to raise our children to know the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to create a childhood that provides them the best opportunity to personally choose to live a life following him. Like that's our priority as parents. That's what we want. We don't necessarily want them to be well-rounded. We don't want them to be the smartest in the world. We don't want them to be the most athletic. What we want is for, to create an environment that gives them the best chance to know the grace and gospel of Jesus and to live a life, to choose on their own, to live a life following him. But the demands of our life have become so much and so loud and so consistent and our systems weren't up to the task of dealing with all of those requests, right? That we had fallen into the very common and very deceptive trap of scheduling our life by the loudest, by the most urgent. We'd scheduled our life by proximity. We let the world's request submit us. And we, we, we let the world put us into a place where we gave our schedule over to it. So by upgrading our life system with the weekly family planning meeting, which by the way, I can tell you still happens to this day every single week. We did it yesterday. We sat down and for 45 minutes, we worked through the entire week in front of us. And by the way, it is messy, but that's the point. You sit down and do it once. You deal with the marital challenges. Who's got the priorities of what? What goes where? Who's gonna do this? And then, by the way, it is so freeing because at that point, we've scheduled the priorities. We've scheduled the things that matter most. We've dealt with the places where we maybe wanted something that wasn't a priority, and we worked through that together. And now you can go be present. You can thrive. You can live on purpose. You can be in the moment with others, and you're not texting each other all day like, wait, are you supposed to do this? Wait, who's going to get Noah from Latin? Oh, wait, I got to get the piano. Oh, are you going to do this? Why didn't you do that? Are you going to be like... That's exhausting, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know you do. We've all been there. You're chasing your tail. You're expending copious amounts of energy, but not getting anywhere. So stop. Slow down and upgrade your system. Schedule your life by priority, not by proximity. Finally, we were able to be present and in the moment of our lives again. What a freeing discipline that is to choose a life of less but better. Stop letting the proximity and the decibel level of the world's and others' requests dictate what gets on your schedule. 
Stop making it up on the fly. Stop through the day, all day, every day, trying to figure out what's next. Create a consistent rhythm of scheduling your life by priority, not by proximity. To choose a life of less but better. Pre-decide. Take those unimportant decisions. Pre-decide them and free your your decision-making muscle to focus on the most important decisions that come along your plate every single day. Define your purpose. Put those boundaries in place. Know exactly where you're going so that you can effortlessly, effortlessly, don't miss that. The whole point is to free you up so you don't spend effort on it every day. Keep moving in the right direction and you'll know what are distractions masquerading as opportunities along the way. Define your purpose. And the third thing, schedule your life by priority, not by proximity. So here's my challenge for you. Right here, right now, look yourself in the mirror. Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself the question, are you or is the world dictating and scheduling your life for you? Are you or the world dictating and scheduling your life for you? Because I can promise you this, if you don't do it, others gladly will. They will fill your schedule up all day, every day. And you will find yourself spending enormous amounts of energy, of your valuable time and energy, in innumerous directions, and producing little of the fruit and impact that you so deeply crave and desire. The purpose-driven, courageously authentic, and radically human life that you want, that deep down inside you know is there, it is there, but you have to capture it. You must choose it. You must choose a life of less but better. Choose life. And as you choose that life, what I, what I implore you and what you must know is that life will still run out. And the only life that lasts, a life that is more and that is better, is the life that comes through the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I look forward to being together again soon. So step up, choose life, choose a life of less but better, and choose life.